0: Welcome to UX Radio, the podcast that generates collaborative discussion about information architecture, user experience, and design.
1: Stacey Serla is the vice president of Metametrics based in Washington, D.C., her career spans more than 30 years, with a concentration on bringing about human-centered transformation in not-for-profit and government settings. Stacy has proven expertise in customer experience, user experience, digital strategy, knowledge management, content strategy, information architecture, and multi-channel service design. She's worked with the Departments of Agriculture, Defense, Health and Human Services, Justice, Veterans Affairs, U.S. Agency for International Development, and the White House.
0: Here are your hosts, Laura Fedoroff and Chris Chandler.
2: Hi, and welcome to UX Radio. I'm Laura Fedoroff,
3: And I'm Chris Chandler.
2: Today, we have Stacy Serla with us, and we're so excited to have you on the show, Stacy. Thanks. I'm really delighted to be here. This is fun. You have such an amazing and impressive background. Can you get us started with helping us learn how you
1: got into this field? Oh, my gosh. Um I guess at the beginning, it was. I started a family circus. That was like maybe the beginning of all of this. I organized a neighborhood circus. So we had acts and we had everyone practicing. And, you know, we did this big performance and it was this big show and a big deal. And my sister later pointed out to me, like, this is like the heart of (laughs) who you are ultimately. Who else would do that? And, you know, that everything kind of evolved from there, but maybe a little bit more coherently. Um, my, My own background is kind of a mixture of art and science and industry. I think I'd put it that way. So I've got this scientific side. I was going to be a scientist, a biologist, work in a lab, and that didn't work for me. It just didn't, everything wasn't there. And then I went to graduate school and got my degree in in writing actually and then my master's degree in literature and that was like totally the opposite thing right but you know how do you get a job how do you work how do you make a living how do you put all those things together and then this internet thing appeared it's just like everything seemed to all come together in this space where the like the right brain the left brain the creative side the analytical side could all come together and and there's this platform that's the size of the world also you know there's sort of like a theater stage or whatever that that is that huge where you can engage with people and it's like I am so glad I'm alive in this era because for some reason I get to do all these different things that That makes sense to me and I have a job and I'll be able to describe my job to people and you know Some people will understand what it is. I do Whereas before nobody could understand what I was trying to accomplish from now On I'm
3: gonna just describe myself as organizing family circuses
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean you get it right that is a unique
3: origin story though. I think you took us both by surprise.
1: Yeah Um, So I work mostly in the government space and that's actually been the case for most of my life so it's in, it's in the, the public sector. I, I've worked for association clients and other kinds of public facing organizations as well. But that's been, my, that's been my area more than any, not too much work in the commercial world myself. Mostly it's government and associations and its own unique kind of flavor when, when you're working in that space.
3: Yeah, I'd love to know more about that. I mean, I think we, you know, we, we talk a lot about uh, working in the private space. Uh, most of our guests, most of most of us, are working for corporations. What's the yeah. what are the big What's the biggest difference? What's the biggest challenges for working with
1: government? The the government is slow and it's huge, and it's it's the tanker. It's not the little sunfish sailing out on the. Uh, on the bay, it's this it's the huge oil tanker that's moving through the bay. So um, it gets big important work done It, it can't stop <laughs> you know, it, it you can't quickly change however things are happening now that require Change and I've been I've been fortunate to be able to be involved in some sort of really interesting um, developments within the government where where change is happening more rapidly. So you might be aware of some like 18F, which is uh, an organization within the government that was um, stood up along with the U S digital service based in response to the healthcare.gov debacle of a few years ago. Right. Like that thing didn't work. It didn't work for a bunch of reasons. Some of those were UX reasons. Some of those were other reasons, but basically it didn't work at, at a huge scale and that was a big problem. So it's like, how can we make our, the government grow up in, in the digital realm and be able to provide services to people that work for them? You know, we have the tools, we know how to do it. How do we make that happen? So I've been uh, fortunate to be involved in uh, sort of like the latest iteration of of that kind of thing, they we stood up some customer experience centers of excellence within the government. So that idea was to you know, okay, what is customer experience? What does that mean to the government? You know, how do we deliver services to people across the various channels in which they're going to interact with the government, um, and how do we do it in a way that is consistent with what people have come to expect and what people deserve out of service from? Their government along the different channels, so in person, via the web, and by phone, all the different ways that we interact with the government, and that's been that's been pretty cool. So it's there are challenges there, there are interesting challenges there in making those changes within the government. I'm curious about the process
2: within the government. You said it moves very slow. And, you know, we're, we also, on the other side of things, talk about agile development. So I'm just curious, like, can you help paint the picture of what that looks like in, in that setting?
1: Right. So agile development is uh, relatively new. It's not actually that new now, but it's still um, a pretty new and upcoming process, right? A way of building software um, that the government has been adopting Um, and, Agile is great, you know. I mean, it, it definitely get benefits out of doing things in an agile way, uh, but it has some real shortcomings when we get to user experience. So, because agile isn't user centered, it's developer centered, really. It's it's around how to, how the team works, how to make that the team be efficient, how to, and there are the notions of delivering workable products. And you know that implies workable for the client, but the process of doing that work hasn't embedded the user at at its core, right? So, um, so that's a real, real problem, I think. So, big government contracts have you know, been issued to do big agile development efforts and have not actually succeeded in delivering software that works for people. So, for instance. This year, I worked on a contract for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. And the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid is huge. And at the heart of it, what we're doing is making sure that people have access to health care, that people's children can, can get immunizations and go to school, you know. So at the heart of it, it's people getting served. Um, and the way that gets delivered, though, is through state agencies. The states administer their programs that enable people to get Medicare and Medicaid. And the federal government makes that happen by providing money for it to happen. Okay, so there are all these processes that happen. So uh, CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, decided they were going to automate some big part of this process, a process um, that engages the states in delivering Medicaid services. It helps the the states do that. I'm going to go into all sorts of details about you know the particulars of it but basically it's a means by which the states can get the funding so they can run their medicaid program so it sounded like a really great idea to, to to computerize that to automate that whole process of of making those requests and making those changes um and all of that stuff could go through a workflow and the whole thing would save money over time but the system was developed in an agile fashion with agile with teams all that stuff was happening um, and did not engage the state client, th- really the users, the states were the users, the people who, at the state level who are making sure that their policies go through and that Medicaid um, gets adjusted in a way that works within their, their states and serves their constituencies. Those people were not consulted or engaged in any meaningful way in developing this huge million dollar project over the course of many years. So failure. So, CMS decided they were going to do things differently and they reissued their contract. And, you know, we have to do this in, an, in, in a user centered way, a human centered way. And what the heck does that mean, though? I mean, they didn't know what it meant. And the contractor they hired to do that work understood it abstractly and could speak to it. But, like, how do you do that? How do you actually do that when it comes, when the rubber hits the road, right? How do you integrate a human centered perspective? into an agile process. So that's really the heart of the question. How do we do that? And the fact is, there's no one way to do that. You have to flexibly do it. You have to figure out what the capacity of the the, of the team is, the agile team, like where are they? You know, What's gonna work best for them? What's actually gonna be functional for them? Where's the client? How are they thinking about uh, integrating human-centered design or what? What are the constraints there for them? And then you figure out how to make it work. Okay, so that's very abstract, right? Just sort of like statement of abstract fact. How it played out in this particular case, and it's going to be the same way anywhere you go. Like there's a willingness, and need, there's a mandate to do it. We will be agile and we will be human-centered. So that means, first of all, we need to go out and meet with these people at the state level and find out how they work, right? We have to go and see how they work. How do they do their jobs?
3: It sounds like what you're saying is in order to be customer-centered, you need to make contact with customers.
1: <laughs> I know, radical notion, totally, right? I'm gonna have to come back at some point to my, like, my own like re- refrain that occurs into my, in my mind all the time, which is like, why do I even have a job? Why is there the need for someone to do this work? Like, Isn't this obvious? No, it's not. You know, for some reason, I still, it still baffles me why anyone needs to come in and say these things. But anyway, so like, okay, you can say, we need to go and talk to your customers. and th- But then they'll say, okay, what does that look like in our world? That means getting on a phone call. Let's have a conference call. And then it means giving them a questionnaire. Let's have them figure out, you know, fill out a questionnaire. It's like, no, 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 that's... What we need to do is go and live in their lives and find out what their jobs are, right? That means us going over to them. (laughs) That means us going to lots and lots and lots of places. And that means airplane tickets, hotel rooms. It's like time. It's going in the field. You know, it's like these sorts of things are not built into how anybody's organized their budget for doing this kind of work. So that's pretty practical, right, stuff.
3: Again, that's not just a challenge on the government side, right? I think the idea that you need to go out and actually contextually figure out how people are doing their work on the ground is like, that's the whole blind spot, right? Like people's work is invisible. And you know, like that's, it's hard to explain why you need to observe, why you need to talk to customers. But there's this phenomenon that the work is nuanced and complicated and interesting, but everybody assumes that work is invisible and well understood.
1: Yes, that's so apt. That's very well articulated. That's exactly right. And so making changes within a team, within an organization that's supposed to be delivering user experience services, um, and within the client agency, which is just as important, I think actually more important, that the client agencies get transformed, you know, it's a matter, we also have to go in and understand them. That's obvious too. We, we kind of forget that, but we need to understand where they are and meet them where they are and then help them make the changes that are going to work for them uh, and, and walk them through that, right? It's it's so complex there's so many levels to doing this work. And uh, that's what's interesting.
2: I'm just curious, like, what's something that you feel really proud of coming out of that project, um, that you were talking about within Medicare services?
1: Well, one thing was the government client under so much pressure, the team had already spent so much time there on the government side. It spent so much time and so much money building something that, that, everyone knew that they themselves were the first to admit, you know, wasn't working for folks, but how much pressure they were under and how painful that was. You know, it's just hard to keep to, it's like walking wounded or, or something, but, you know, having to continue to move forward. And I felt that after that first initial, you know, three or four month engagement I had with them, I heard them speaking the words that, makes just actually talking about what they learned when they went and saw folks doing their work in the field. You know, they, they, they were able to speak about that and, and, and repeat it to others. So they were talking to their own leadership about it. And so it became part, you know, it could become part of their culture to, to do that kind of thing on a, on a regular basis, like not just make phone calls, just not just have conference calls, but Go into the field, go into their world. Um, I don't know. So I was, I was really pleased that it was difficult to get to that point. <laughs> but just hearing, hearing them talk and speak and be proselytizing themselves uh, about these things, I feel, I feel proud about having done that, been part of doing that.
3: Yeah, I, I totally get that. It's, it's the kind of thing where you can explain it and you can talk to you, your blue in the face and you feel like you're not making any progress, right? And it just takes a long time. But when when your clients, when your partners, like internalize the language and start using it, it's such a, that is an, an amazing feeling.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I'm sort yeah. of curious, like just to stay on this, like one of the things, you know, when we work with big companies, right? We often have work consultants. And so we're really concerned with like, who is approving this? That's you were, and I always wondered about that in the government work. Like, that must be more confusing.
1: Who's approving it? Right. So another kind of frame I want to speak to has to do with basically what you're talking about. Like, what, at what level are we working here? Are we going in? Are we being hired to improve a particular interface or a particular website? Um, and we can p- apply UX techniques to improve something very specific. Or are we there to help them with a suite of tools like their whole grant making system that has many, many different components, let's say, or something else like that, you know, that's a whole different level or, and, or are we working beyond even the agency level? Are we working kind of at an ecosystem level to, to help them transform how they're even doing this work at the, in the first place? So. So who approves, you need to have the right approver, <laughs> you know, to get work done at any, any one of those levels, and those could be different. So within the government, you may have um, a particular person who's in charge of, of the contract, and that's your ultimate approver. Or it could be, in the government, there are many consensus cultures as well. Um, Sometimes there are, sometimes there aren't. And if you're working in a consensus culture, then you kind of have to get everybody involved. and Or it might be like nobody really wants to have the book ultimately stop at their desk. So there's that as well.
3: Well, that's sort of what I was thinking, that in the corporations, right, people sort of say, like, well, the CEO wanted it. But in government work, right, that's a little more hazy of a, right, like the director of this office wanted that, but really... Eventually, there's a politician somewhere, like how the how they how they think of the ultimate authority, it seems kind of confusing.
2: Right. So is it like a socialization strategy where you're talking to them as stakeholders and getting their buy in along the way with the
1: different prototypes or designs? Well, yes. But, you know, I don't know that at that level, it's really all that different than working in a a commercial setting. There's the always the equivalent of, oh, the CEO wanted it within an agency. No, it's the (laughs) the director wanted it or we thought the director wanted it. We didn't really talk to her about it in detail. So maybe we discover she actually didn't want it. Um, Right. So um, yeah, that, and that's a problem. That's a problem. If you're not really involving the stakeholders in the decision-making processes or the design processes, you're going to run into trouble. Doesn't that always, doesn't that happen with you too? If you, if you're developing um here's your here's your creative concept or here's your overall uh, ux concept and then you do a reveal at some point you know and it's like not the right thing no but you know then then you've done all that work and it just didn't hit the mark right definitely definitely i think when you look at startups versus
2: enterprise companies it's it's a little bit different if you're working in an enterprise with a very large enterprise corporation there's many different departments and It's a lot more work to get Mm -hmm. that idea and concept socialized for approval. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: that's similar. But again, you know, kind of it—it depends on what you're focusing on. If it's the case where you're building a website or you're building a, a distinct system or you're doing something very specific, then right, you have to socialize. You have to pay a lot of attention to that. to to making sure that that you're not just doing some one-off that somebody thinks they want and nobody really wants. It's never going to really get built or it's not going to, you know, ultimately be of any use to anybody. But some of these other projects that I've been able to be involved in are already happening happening at a kind of um, higher charge level. So this sort of transformation within the federal government to focus on customer experience requires – it you know comes from on high <laughs> it's come from on high over the past two administrations that you know this is something that that the government itself needs to be focused on and needs to transform itself to be able to accommodate and when you when you're doing when when you're working like that then you have the attention of not only the head of the department or the agency but you know the like the secretary himself or herself of the of the department Department of Agriculture Department of Commerce or whatever we're talking about, right, is focused on making sure this thing works. So it matters more. It doesn't mean it's easier, that, that it's completely smooth to execute. But having that focus and that, that executive buy-in is absolutely essential to doing anything that's going to be fundamentally transformative in the organization.
3: Yeah, I think in that, that's a very similar, no matter where you go, I'm going to switch uh, gears for a second. I'm curious, Stacey, uh, as uh, as a consultant, as, uh, as a UX designer, sort of, and, and dealing with these uh, consensus cultures and, you know, what are some of your go-to methods for, you know, getting the work done? I know you're, you're such a passionate advocate of doing things the right way.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the shock and awe method is the one that I pull out the most. So that's Basically taking design thinking approaches and in and, and having folks participate with us in in coming up with the idea, so I feel that that is so so important I'm most interested in helping transform how the place is doing its work rather than like doing a beautiful job of like giving them something wonderful. I mean that's great, I want to be able to do that, but like I'm most interested in that maybe subversive transformative aspect. So, so workshopping things I think is, is like one of my secret weapons that I try to deploy whenever I can bringing people in and and having them. So instead of having a requirements gathering session where you're just sitting around the table and you go down the the list and you collect the requirements, you know, workshop that have do like a story mapping uh, exercise instead and walk them through, don't start with what we're going to do, or, you know, uh, even how we're going to do it, but like, why are we doing this, and and have them get to that, and then build up from there. Um, So, workshopping is one of my favorite methods, and getting out in the field, and doing the research, and having stakeholders come with, and be part of that, like that's another transformative thing to do though so if if sometimes it turns out it lo- it starts off and many many times it starts off like that they people say yeah let's go and do some field research and they'll organize it and make it be the way they would normally organize some basically a meeting in the field versus research in the field so what you can go along with them and um and yet try to show how to do it correctly <laughs> like how to Make sure. In addition to meeting in a in a in the meeting like in the conference room, by the way, we're also going to spend several hours sitting with so and so and at their desk and watching them do their work and you know that kind of thing. So so then your stakeholders can see, and then they see what the results are of that, and then they're like, yeah, let's, that's a way to do it. So again, inculcating them into the process is one of my one of my favorite methods. <laughs>
2: Right. I think um, when you talk about your secret power of workshopping, it took me back to the family circus reference because it really is gathering a lot of different people with different points of view. And um, I've seen you in the workshop experience at the practitioner's roundtable. I think I haven't actually seen it in a design uh, thinking type of environment, but um,
1: it definitely is one of your superpowers. Thank you. It's something I just believe it is really important that anyone can do. That's that I think that's a key thing too. It's like we all we all come at this with our own particular strengths and weaknesses, right? Like I'm a very shy person. I just want to sit and read my science fiction and drink my tea and eat my chocolate, right? That's really what I want life to be about for myself, if if I could. But uh, interspersed with those moments. What I find is really valuable is getting out there and and engaging with folks. So I go ahead and do that. But I know what my strengths and weaknesses are a little bit on that. And being able to do workshopping with people and be be engaged with people, it's it's within my realm. And and I'm like one of these shy people. So I think those kinds of techniques can be used by anyone to to get things rolling. You know, I've seen that over and over. I've I've worked with lots of folks with different personalities, right? And everyone can can kind of step up to it and, and make it work if you if you give them a, a bit of support It's also the same thing with working with the clients if you're workshopping with clients they're you're putting them in a kind of scary spot for themselves right it's not normal so what's normal is to sit around a table with a pad in front of yourself and everyone's looking at the PowerPoint deck that that feels comfortable and normal right it's not normal to stand up with a pad of stickies in your hand and, and like Make a statement about you know what works, what you what you want to see, and you know, all those kinds of things. It's scary to do that, but it's fun to uh, do it too.
3: We use the you know a design studio method a lot, right? Like take take your piece of paper, fold it into eight pieces, and everybody draw. And it is interesting to me over the years exactly how much tension and fear our clients and the stakeholders have about the idea of drawing so it's, yes. it's it's sort of a funny thing like I love your point totally agree right like these are methods that like anyone can do them and so that's like it's critical and it's super uh, important to get people involved and not just blah blah blahing with their mouths yes. right like doing something active but it's so interesting like how much you know like anxiety people have about like participating at that level where you really yes. have to spend extra time, sort of coaching them to get them to get started.
1: Yes, that's it. That's one hundred percent correct. And however, once you do start engaging people, you'll you'll find it. The the flip side is how, then once you turn them on, how can you kind of like rein them in again?
3: <laughs> right, right after the after you created the monster.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's a that's not too terrible of a problem to have, but. But that is another piece of it. You know, how can you take that and then allow different voices in the group to, to to speak? For instance, how do you help manage all of that? It's totally fascinating. I think the whole thing is a whole career in itself. You know, being, learning how to workshop, develop workshops, learning how to facilitate workshops, and um, you know, helping people be effective within the workshop setting. It's just fascinating.
3: I, I just didn't want to let the science fiction reference go by. What what are you reading, Stacey? What would you recommend?
1: What am I reading? Um, and what tea do I pair with it? I'm not reading science fiction right now. I'm re- reading <laughs> a lot of modern women and relationships kinds of uh, books, actually. So, you know not not interesting
3: (laughs) no that's just as interesting of course
2: there's a separate topic i'm really curious um to pick your mind about which is ethical design and i'd love for you to share your thoughts on what our responsibility is as designers
1: yeah you know that is something that is that's very important to me as well and um I'm, I'm teaching an undergraduate class these days in user experience, and it's, it's within a major that's just an overall information science major. So within their overall curriculum, they've got to do some user experience also. So these are folks who may or may not really be attracted to the UX side of things. But um, I feel that even at the at the introductory level, it's important to introduce people to the profound responsibility that we have, the power and the responsibility that we have to to design ethically, because the things that we build, whether we like it or not, or whether we admit it to ourselves or not, have profound impacts on people and can make things really good or really awful for folks. So designing for for difference does that designing for different um, capabilities and characteristics and uh, places in life. That's, that's part of ethical design. And designing to not harm, <laughs> you know, to, to not cause harm and to be able to figure out how to do that is, is also really important.
3: You just made me think of something, Stacy. there, which is that uh, I think UX designers uh, spend a lot of time in that do no harm right? Of like at the interface level, right? Like, yeah. oh, this is an awkward interaction. Oh, you're not making this easy for people, right? Like, 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 you spend a lot of time fixing the obvious things that would be obvious if anybody ever showed them to a human, right? Yes. Uh, so, right. so that's the lowest level. I, I just wanted to sort of make that connection, right? It's like, you know, I think what you're saying is that you have to also then think about those longer term consequences.
2: And Right. right. One, one side of that maybe is even informed design, like what data are you collecting? How are you going to use that data? How explicit are you to the user about how you're going to use that information? And don't right. collect information you don't need. Right, right,
1: exactly. Um, and then kind of even from a governance perspective or a practical perspective beyond that, what if our system collects the wrong data? What if we discover that, you know, there've been some, some, some errors in what we've done that could have negative consequences for folks? How are we gonna make things right? How are we gonna fix it and make that person whole again, you know, who, who have, have been affected by our design that wound up not being completely aware of, of what we were doing? So that's, a, that's another level.
3: One question and, that we ask all of our guests, Stacy, is what advice would you give to someone who is entering the field of UX here in 2019? As an alternate question, by the way, what advice would you give to somebody who is maybe a mid-level or you know is interested in advancing their career?
1: I think I'd be more qualified to answer to think about that. Mm-hmm. What I'd say to somebody who's at a mid-level and is looking at, you know, what's next. As, um, you know, as we get good at our crafts, we learn how to do the, our particular specialty better. We get better at information architecture better at the taxonomy work we're doing or content strategy or, or the research, you know. As we get better at our crafts, we find that we need to do more than just really be good at that particular craft, right? We need to, like, look out and see... Sort of in the realm, and see what's next. What, what, how should I be making it? How can I be making a difference here? And I'd say that whenever we do that, that requires that we that we stretch, you know, that we that we go further than what we might be comfortable in doing, and that could be kind of scary and, and kind of difficult. And I I think that what we really need is, you know, I've been really fo- I've been really focusing on this for myself a lot, you know, what am I doing in my craft and in my career? You know, I can think about what I'm good at. And we can all think about, you know, what what our our expertise is or what particular areas that we're focusing on. And we get better and better at that. But that's that's like those are our tools, those are our methods. We need to be good at that, but that's not enough, right? If we look out and see what am I up to? What am I what am I here doing this for? You know, that's more about getting back to the why the why of what we're doing, what, what difference are we here to make, and how can we make that difference? And, yeah, that sounds, that sounds kind of abstract, but I think it's, it's really integral to, to, our in fact, our whole approach. I, th- I think about you know, following our own processes. <laughs>
3: you know? Yeah, um, I, I tell people all the time, right, that like, people, for some reason, at the beginning of their career, want to talk about their career path. And I always advise, right, like, you can't really know what your career path is at the beginning, right? It's going to take you a while to build up your skills and to figure out what you like doing before you can really be thoughtful about what you want to do and why you're doing it and what parts work for you. Mm -hmm.
2: The other question that we like to ask our guests is, what
1: would you like your legacy to be? I... I am looking forward to having been part of creating like a different way to work. I, I feel very strongly, we talked about this earlier, that, um, while agile development is a great way of developing software, it's not enough. It, it's not, it's like fundamentally flawed in my opinion. I think that, that putting the use, starting with the user and building out a different way of working. Uh, a different way of building software and services and, you know, uh, so ecosystem of services um, requires starting from the people we're designing for. Um, it requires a different way of working. It requires using some of these great techniques that that seem to work so well, the design thinking techniques and so forth, um, and maybe lean UX and that kind of approach. I, I would like to have a legacy of, Many different organizations that have been able to transform their way of, of building software and services to and have been able to build tons of things <laughs> that work you know I, I think that software that works really well shouldn't be this like amazing accomplishment it should be normal and ordinary and totally expected and and I want to be part of having built that change, that different kind of way of working where you know software that works is just normal. Me too.
2: Well, thank you so much, Stacey. It's been an absolute delight
1: having you on the show today. Thank you. And I've, I've enjoyed it a lot.
3: And I'll see you soon for karaoke.
1: <laughs> Let's line up our list of songs that we're going to do.
0: UX Radio is produced by Laura Federoff and Chris Chandler. If you want more UX Radio, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Google Play or go to ux-radio.com where you'll find podcasts, resources, and more. This episode is brought to you by Philosophy. Philosophy helps entrepreneurs and organizations validate and develop their promising ideas through agile design, rapid prototyping, and software craftsmanship. To learn more, visit philosophy with an ie.is.